Welcome to this election edition of No Nonsense. Elections are almost always decided by the laws of unintended consequences, issues that seemingly arise from nowhere, ego or arrogance that begin to define the players. The wrong answer to questions such as, why are we having this election now? Everything is on the table, hidden agendas, pandering to regions, what we did and did not do in Afghanistan, an issue close to my heart. We're going to talk about all of this today with Daryl Bricker, the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, of course, conducting public opinion research all of the time, but also in the course of elections for uh, for global. He's also the author of five national best-selling books. So he thinks about this um, 24-7. Welcome, Daryl. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on, Senator. It's great. You are talking when you 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 crunch your numbers every day and everybody's in uh, in the horse race numbers game. But you've basically said that the situation out there in voter land is weirdly stable. Like people really have made up their minds in many respects. Yeah, what we've seen uh, in this election campaign is that we started off with a fairly narrow lead for the Liberal Party mm-hmm. uh, that disappeared through weeks two and three as a result of how the when and why the election was called, which we can talk about in a minute. Yep. And it's now moved into a slight conservative lead. But if you look at um, the, the polling compared to the last election campaign and where we ended up, the Conservatives ended up at 34. We have them at 35. The Liberals ended up at 33. We have them at 31. The NDP has been the big movers. They've moved from 16 up to 21. But that is still weirdly stable. I mean, over the space of the last two years, with all that's gone on with the pandemic and everything else that's been happening in the world, we're talking about one and two point moves for most of the parties. When you talk about those numbers, and I don't want to dwell on numbers because I know, but but Liberals win at at 33 and Tories lose at 34. Not this time. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, and and there's a there's a major difference this time. Uh, last time in Ontario, uh, the Conservatives lost by 10 points. So even though they were way over indexed in in uh, in Alberta, in terms of their percentage of the vote, really really high historical highs, um, they didn't do well enough in the province of Ontario and. You can win, you know, a few seats by a lot of votes, or you can win mm-hmm. a lot of seats by few fewer uh, by a lower margin, which is what the Liberals did in Ontario the last time around. And this time around, uh, depending on the poll that you look at, at least in our polls, you know, from week to week, it'll go two points ahead for the Conservatives or two points ahead for the Liberals. And in that t- kind of situation, uh, even though the, the national numbers look the same. What's happening in Ontario probably creates a situation where it's too close to call, whereas last time that wasn't really the case, even though the numbers looked really close. And then you've got the issue in in Quebec always where um, what the, what voters decide to do about the bloc, about the, the nationalist vote, they either kind of go all in or decide they're going to go with the winner uh, close to voting day. What's your assessment of where people are? Well, that certainly happened for Justin Trudeau in 2015, and, and the cascade towards his majority started in the province of Quebec. This time around, I, we don't see anything like that or any sign of that in, in the polling at the moment, but we've got, you know, 10 days to go or whatever the number of days is to yeah, go, yeah. Uh, where something like that could happen, where a public consensus can form and people start moving in a particular direction. 
but there's very little time for that to start happening. Uh, and, you know, the debates might have some influence on that, but that's rarely the case. You talked about, uh, and this was a, a few days back, uh, about the character issue emerging for the, the prime minister as kind of a defining issue. How did that emerge and, and what form does it take? Okay, that's, that's a really interesting question and one that I'm struggling with trying to explain um, yeah. uh, to, to people, but it, it is absolutely the question in this election campaign. And it's because of the things that are supposed to correlate that aren't correlating in the data. So one of the things that we know is that there is a correlation usually between government performance and whether or not people feel that they should be reelected. Well, actually, when we look at government performance numbers, the, the liberal numbers are actually pretty good. Uh, they're at least in the 40s, in some cases in the 50s, which is more than enough if that mm -hmm. percentage of people voted for them to get them reelected. But their vote is 31. So how, how does this line up? We ask people whether they deserve to be reelected or another party should be in power. Uh, the number on deserve to reelect for the Liberals is 38, but their current vote's 31. Normally, those numbers get closer together, and they're not. Um, and the difference is one number that we've seen move the most significantly through the course of the campaign. And that started high and has just gotten higher. And that is, is this a good time to be holding an election? And uh, when we started in the campaign uh, four weeks ago, or whatever it is, three weeks ago, it was 56. We just, we're just releasing polling data now showing it at 68. So it's moved up 12 points through the course of the election campaign. Now, uh, Senator, you've been around this game at least as long as I have, if not longer. Yep. <laughs> that, nev that never happens. Yeah. Normally what happens, and this is one of those pundit memes that's going to have to die after this election campaign, is that people get over why an election was called and they start focusing on the issues. Yeah. And it doesn't have an impact on what the final result is. Not this time. And the reason is because what it does is it underscores a real weakness that the Canadian public has, or enough of the Canadian public has, with what they perceive as a character issue with the Liberal Party and with their leader, which is that they don't tell the truth. They're not really, um, you know, they're not really, uh, they're, they're focused on their own needs. Yeah. Uh, and and um, as a result of that, they're putting us in jeopardy by calling this election campaign when they are. I mean, 25, almost 25% of Canadians say that they think, think that it's risky to go vote in person. So this all adds up into a situation in which Canadians have drawn a hard line between the day before the election was called and the day after the election was called. Before that, the Liberals had a bit of a lead, up about four or five points, and uh, Canadians were actually reasonably impressed with how they performed during the pandemic. The day the election was called, they said, we're putting that aside and we're focusing on what you just did and yeah. what this says to, to us about who you are and what you value. And to me, those are character questions. And no. the other place, oh, sorry, Senator, go ahead. No. I was going to add some, a little more to that. But. No, go ahead, because we got time here. <laughs> uh, so... What we did on one of our polls, and we do this, in, and I know you've seen these kinds of things before, is we went through a whole series of character attributes. You know, who's most likely to say anything to get elected? Who's, uh, you know, who gives you a sense of hope? Uh, who do you think has a hidden agenda? You know, all these kinds of questions. Yeah. I don't know. There may be 20 attributes. And what's happened in this election campaign as a result of this experience is that all of the sunny ways, things that relate to hope and positive and all that kind of stuff, Jagmeet Singh leads on. Yep. And all of the things that most of the things, there's a couple that Trudeau still leads on, like managing the pandemic, but most of the competence economic, slash economic type things, um, you know, running tight government, O'Toole now leads on. So yep. what's happened is Trudeau's reputation has declined 
not to a, a specific competitor, but to both, which leaves him in a place where he's, he's, he's relatively weak in the campaign. Well, that, I mean, we'll get into split votes, but, but it is, it was, I think, very difficult for the prime minister, uh, the liberal leader, to make the case that parliament wasn't functioning and he needed a mandate. It was actually functioning. The opposition parties gave him huge leeway to spend and to legislate without the kind of scrutiny that you usually get because of the pandemic. Uh, and uh, whether Canadians are aware of that or not, um, he hasn't been able to make a case as to why you're asking people to put their health at risk to participate in this campaign and why you aren't focused on the thing that they were actually liking that you were doing, which was managing the pandemic. So whether Parliament was working or not, it, it, people don't it's, it's, re- it's, all, it's almost not really the, it's real, almost yeah. really not the issue. I'm sure it is for some voters, but yeah. for the, 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 the vast group of people who are disappointed, 68%, uh, that it's not an issue for them. And, and you know, the, what mystifies me, um, <clears throat> because obviously the parties do their own polling, um, was that the Liberals couldn't anticipate that this was the question. I mean, yeah. we saw it by just running a simple crosstap of Liberals versus opposition voters on whether we should have an election now. And the people who are most upset about having an election were liberal voters. Yeah. The opposition guys were okay because they want to get it true. It yeah. was the liberal voters who were saying, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this for? Yeah. And he hasn't been able to make the case with them, but you know, they're holding on to a certain extent, but it's really weak. And there isn't a lot of passion in the liberal vote right now. There's a link in my mind, and I don't know if it's in anybody else's mind, but also the day that the election was called was the day that Kabul fell. Um, and while Canadians may not have been focused on Afghanistan for the last number of years since since we left. We did um, lose men and women there. Uh, it cost us a lot. We're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11. These, and to witness that happen and to see the disarray the American government making some bizarre and deadly issues and us kind of following along. Is that registering or is that just for people like me that care about this particular issue? Um, it's, it's not helping the liberal cause. It's, it's one more thing that leads to the question of why are we doing this yeah. now? Um, and uh, I think for people who are more plugged into uh, um uh, you know, foreign policy and, or, you know, care about these kinds of things or have experience probably been over to Afghanistan. A lot yeah. of Canadians have, or, 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 you know, associated with the military or whatever, it may be a higher level issue for them. Uh, but for most Canadians, it's just like one more thing that uh, it's like, why are we doing this? And then the second thing is that in the daily TikTok of the campaign, it really dominated the first week of, of the, uh, of the campaign, which meant that whatever message the liberals wanted to get out about defining why we were having the election wasn't able to wasn't able to break through it. You know, we don't have to have an opinion about this. It mm-hmm. went from 50, 56 to 68 in the course of four weeks. I mean, why else? Yeah. Whatever the reasons are, it has occurred. Let's look at some of the, the other issues that are there that I think in some ways are tied to the character issues. For example, um, You've got uh, a Liberal MP that the Prime Minister defended who against whom there were allegations of 
um, sexual misconduct. Uh, another candidate where uh, he was involved in flipping houses when this is a big issue in the campaign. Like there's a bunch of little things that probably don't matter much on the national stage, but but they just get picked up. And then they, as you say, they just kind of add to that character issue there, which is, are you telling the truth? Is this hypocrisy? You know, like, is that, are, are, do those things count? Well, they're reminders. So if there were okay. other issues, anything that brings up a, a story where, for example, in the sexual harassment thing, where it allows you to talk about the military sexual harassment, allows you to talk about some issues that have happened with other members of parliament, including the prime minister, yeah. uh, you know, ministers have had to resign. And I mean, whatever brings up that legacy of things that the liberals thought they put behind them when they won the election in 2019, it's, it's what they don't want to be talking about. And, and what it does is it clouds out the uh, clouds out the, uh, the, um, or fills in the news hole that they have to fill with their positive message about what they want to do for Canada after this next election, if they're if they are given a mandate with a majority government, which is what they want to be able to talk mm -hmm. about, but if they're talking about these other things, they can't talk about that, and and it also feeds in as you've correctly identified to questions of character, not just the, the prime minister, but the character of his government. Mm -hmm. Mr. O'Toole um, came in with uh, a lot of disadvantages. Nobody really knew who he was. Uh, Throughout the pandemic, these the opposition leaders did not get a stage, uh, which the House of Commons and Parliament is, and question periods. So he had to define himself. Was that a lucky break or not? Well, I think that, that Aaron O'Toole did get a lucky break in, in everything that I just talked about. That um, all of a sudden, um, when Canadians weren't really thinking about changing the government, the way that this election was triggered made them think, okay, we've, you know, we've got serious questions about continuing with the incumbent. And, and that opened up the possibility for them to consider someone else. And what Aaron O'Toole did that was smart, he's done a number of things that were smart, was the first thing is that he took the opportunity that he had very seriously. So whereas another, you know, other political leaders uh, may have said, you know, not this time, but maybe if we can hold them to a minority, you know, we can, yeah. uh, you know, maybe get them the next time. He, he he was all in right from day one, and so is so is his campaign. So when you see a, a, a platform, I don't know how many pages it was, like 160 in mice type, basically with all of these. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he knew what he had to deal with was the question of a hidden agenda, and the best way to deal with that was the way that Jean Chrétien dealt with it back in 1993 with his red book and, you know, other political yeah. leaders, Stephen Harper did, did it with his five promises, but we've seen other leaders, you know, Mike Harris with his common sense revolution. There's probably other examples that people can point, point to. Um, what, it, he filled that in. So what he was able to do was the minute that anybody said anything about climate change, for example, he could say, well, you know, you may have heard from my party and that was a problem, but here's what I'm committed to. And I'm the leader. Uh, you know, you may have something on, uh, you know, name whatever issue that you want to, but we've got a promise on it and here it is, you can look it up. Um, and uh, that's given him, uh, you know, some space to be able to introduce himself in a positive way to Canadians. But the truth is he's got a pretty easy ride to this point and he's about to get the attacks turned up to 11, yeah. um, hit, hitting him now. The, and so the, the question will... yeah. Can he look prime ministerial under that? And is he able to withstand it? How is, how is he able to, to deal with it? 
through the course of this. And uh, the, the, the attacks are really going to be coming from the Liberal Party because yeah. they, and it's not to get conservative voters to vote Liberal. Basically, what it is, is to scare NDP voters enough about what Aaron O'Toole might represent that um, that they to vote will, liberal, not NDP. They'll come back to the liberals. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I keep telling people that, you know, I haven't decided yet, but this is either 2004 or 2006. Yeah. And that demonize the demonize the conservatives to marginalize the NDP worked in 2004 and blew up badly on yeah. the Liberal Party in 2006. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how that. All right. Some of the risky uh, moves or other problems for uh, O'Toole, uh, the carbon tax uh, and embracing that, albeit in a different form. But in the part of the world that I live in, uh, it's, you know, this is uh, not a good thing to say out loud and I think has contributed to the support for Maxime Bernier and the PPC because people are saying kind of a pox on all their houses. We'll just go over here. Okay. So let's talk about the PPC. Yeah. Um, they got 1% in the last election. So I know that uh, there's a lot of robocall polls being done in this campaign. There's a lot of other polls in which people are actually naming the, the, the PPC as a party. I, I went through this with the green party back in the 1990s when we started actually naming them as a choice Mm -hmm. Uh, what ended up happening is the numbers went way up in the polling. What they actually did at election time was about half of that. Yeah. So, and continually through the entire period that we've had the green party on the stage, they tend to do twice as well in polls as they do in election campaigns. So what I don't know with the PPC, in spite of the videos that we're seeing and uh, you know, at, at protests, and you don't need a lot of people at a protest, you're a former journalist, to make yeah. it look like a lot is going on. Um, right. So what I don't know at this stage of the game, because we don't name the PPC in our our, uh, our polls, what we do is we, we have them as other, and then when, when somebody says other, okay, which party? And we're yeah. getting the PPC at two. So As, as you know, there are polls that are saying 10 or 11. Well, they may be right and may, we may be wrong. We're going to see on election day. I have a feeling it'll be closer to two than it will to 10. And yeah. the reason that those other polls are getting the PPC as high as they are is it's a none of the above. Yeah. Similar to what similar to what the Green Party was. You could put the rhinoceros party in and get a certain number of people saying that they were going to vote for them. In fact, they used to. You were in a journalist yeah. that actually was an active rhinoceros party. Yeah. So the actual way to test that is to put in a party that doesn't actually exist and see how many people bite on that one. Right. And that'll give you a weighting factor to be able to evaluate it or do what we do, which is to have them as other and then have people say the people, the, the, the people's party. And it's about it's two. They, yeah. They've got one in the last election campaign. Doubling your vote is great from one to two, but is it 10? Yeah. Mm, I think we're going to have a conversation about that after election day. About how well, and the thing in the Western ridings in the prairies, for example, is, I mean, the Tories, the conservatives, I shouldn't call them Tories, the conservatives win by such margins that even if you lose 10% to the PPC or whatever it may be, it doesn't impact the outcome. Yeah. And they're not going to lose 10% to the PPC. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's a, it's a, it's a polling yeah. artifact and, and uh, um, until it's proven not to be. I mean, if I'm, I'm happy to say afterwards that I was wrong. The one um, thing I want to discuss about or have sure. your, your thoughts on is that 
you also don't want to misread who these guys are. It's easy to say, oh, they're the ones throwing gravel or whatever it may be. But there's they're not just all anti-vaxxers out at, you know, some uh, protest against the prime minister. There's a quiet more mainstream group of people. I don't know whether you want to throw in the soccer moms or the health food proponents or, um, you know, what they say about the average uh, vaccine hesitant person, the 40 something woman in Ontario who tends to vote liberal. Like there's a none of the above category, which is troubling in a country, if not impactful in an election. It can be. We've seen it certainly be a trouble in another in, in other jurisdictions in Canada. What I don't know about the the People's Party are are they Preston Manning and the Reform Party, mm-hmm. or are they just uh, and and by the way, just a, a minor party better organized? You know, yeah. with all of these collective interests, like the Reform Party was in the United States after Ross Perot. Mm-hmm. I, like I, I don't really don't really know. And, and the only way we'll know is the day after election day, when we yeah. actually see how many votes they deliver. And um, as I said before, uh, I think that there is an argument to be made that they're a polling artifact. I think that, yeah. um, that uh, the only way to test that is to go through an election campaign, another election campaign to see if that's the case. But are there elements in Canadian society that one would describe as having non-mainstream uh, public opinions that can't public opinion that can't be defined as left or right? Um, that are more sort of QAnon-ish and, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, very well plugged into conspiracy theories, or even just people who are so disaffected from central government in Ottawa that they, they want to go in another direction and don't buy into the major national parties and have, you know, another agenda that those parties would never speak to. Yeah, there, there, there could be that. Have they coalesced around the, the, the People's Party? I'm not so sure. I'm just I'm interested because in in my own world, like in in the Senate, and it comes from my my work as a journalist, I guess, my belief in free speech and the importance of protecting that. And when we saw things with the government trying to do things through the back door with Bill C-10, um, whether or not they were going to start to monitor what you do online and maybe take you offline if they don't like what they hear. Uh, Stephen Gilbo, the minister, said as much. You know, we're going to uh, we're going to come and get you if you criticize the government. The response to those issues, because Canadians don't run around thumping their chest about their you know their rights and the First Amendment and all those things that we hear stateside. We're quieter about that stuff. But boy, there was a big uptake and concern about the role of government in your life and how how far Canadians want them to intrude on it. And I think that's part of what's in there too. It, it, yeah, there might very well be. I mean, there's a, like I said, it's a catch basin for a whole yeah. bunch of different things. And you actually articulated it very well at the start. I mean, they could be, you know, anti-farming people. They could be vegans. They could be hunters. Right. They could be, you know, whoever you want to throw in that category. Uh, and they could be finding, uh, you know, the uh, the People's Party could be a magnet for all of this. Um, I don't know what their convention would be like <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to get these people to agree on anything, but you know, it's difficult to get people in the NDP to agree on everything yeah, or, no. the, or the conservative party to agree on everything. Yeah. What I will say in Western Canada though, is there is such a, 
um, uh, a distaste for uh, the, the Liberal Party. We saw it in the last election. We're seeing it again in this election that I think enough of those people are prepared to down tools and vote for Aaron O'Toole in order yeah. to get rid of Justin Trudeau. That for that event, um, I don't think it represents a threat to the Conservatives where it really does become a problem. And and, and not just among those groups, but from people who are so angry with the way that Ottawa is operated, is when you become Ottawa. So if Aaron, Aaron O'Toole wins this election campaign, how is he going to manage all of this? Yeah. Uh, Justin Trudeau had a lot easier time because the values of the people from coast to coast in his party were pretty similar. Um, yeah. the, the, the Conservative Party is a, different, is, a, is a different entity. And it's always difficult to manage. Um, and I think seen... that's the, why the carbon tax issue was a problem for Aaron O'Toole. It was seen as becoming Ottawa, right? Well, you know, and Aaron O'Toole uh, um, uh, executed what I would call, and not just me, other people call the big shift strategy, which is mm -hmm. that what you do is you put together Western Canada, rural Canada, um, small town Canada, and the suburbs of the major cities, and that's how you win. And the difference with those that strategy is it's one that works for conservatives, but doesn't work for liberals. So over the 20th century, um, the, the only way that you could win a national election in Canada was by winning the province of Quebec and enough of the province of Ontario that nothing else mattered. And conservatives and liberals, when they won, that's how they won. Uh, but what's happened is the population of Canada has changed enough that Western Canada is big enough now that you can start building a political strategy out, out of there. So if you can use the West combined with the suburbs of Toronto um, and other major cities in the country, you can put together a coalition that doesn't even require you to win a lot of seats in the province of Quebec, as Stephen Harper did in 2011 when he only won five. Yeah. So um, you can see what the coalition looks like. Holding it together is quite a different matter. So what are the interests of people who live in the suburbs of Toronto with the people who live in Wadena? Yeah. How do, how do they come together? And, you know, they probably do on things that are related to economics. They probably like lower taxes. They probably yeah. like, um, they probably like uh, uh, you know, things that uh, have to do with smaller government. Probably what they do disagree on is things like a carbon tax. And that's where it's going to start to get difficult. So winning an election, if you're Aaron O'Toole, is easier than governing with the coalition. Yeah, that's no, when no. it's going to get interesting. Well, and and you do have those issues where uh, those two, you know, the Wadinas and the 905s connect and, you know, crime. It depends on whether you look yeah. at that issue through the crime numbers or the gun control issue. Most people who live in a more rural setting understand that, you know, legal guns aren't the problem. Illegal guns are the problem, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and the problem for the Liberal Party, and the problem for the Liberal Party on that is when you go batty on guns and, and you mm -hmm. decide you're going to make that a huge, huge, huge issue, and they're trying to be careful because they're making it about like military assault weapons, which have yeah. been legal in Canada for a long time. Exactly. Um, but um, the problem is that there are Liberal voters who are hunters um, and people who are farmers who vote Liberal. And uh, there's not as many of them as there used to be, but there's a few ridings um, that they hold in places that are more remote, that this is a death sentence for those those members of parliament. Yeah, exactly. Okay, a couple of things I, I just want to hear. Putting people back to work, uh, meaning really cutting back on the government support programs. We're hearing employers across the country say, I can't reopen my business because I can't get anybody to work. Um, those programs will eventually wind down, but 
Is it smart to say, as uh, Aaron O'Toole is doing, let's let's just end it, let's get people back to work? And then how does that jive with mandatory vaccines and or passports? Okay, on uh, on getting people back to work, um, if you're Justin Trudeau, you wouldn't be saying that, what Aaron O'Toole said. But then again, Aaron O'Toole's voters are small business people. Correct. They're not Bay Street, they're small business people, and they're the people struggling with exactly what you're saying. And that's getting people back to work. So actually, for him, it's not a 100% Canadian issue. But for his constituents, uh, yeah, people who are interested in voting for the Conservatives, they want to hear that um, somehow we're going to be finding a way to get people back to work. Um, And remember that Conservative voters tend to be private sector workers. They tend not to be public sector workers. Right. Uh, um, th- those those folks tend to vote liberal and they tend to vote NDP, um, whereas the Tories tend to be private sector, the, you know, more small business operators. This is why Justin Trudeau got into such trouble when they tried to t- change some of the tax laws for small business people back in uh, in his, in uh, in between 2011 and 2000 uh, uh, or between 2015 and 2019. And they had such an explosion because those guys are Tories yeah. um, and they're and they're well organized. Um, so that's on small business I, and, and saying that we need to get people back to work. Uh, depending on how it's done, it could be you know a good thing or a bad thing for his constituents. It's it's something that he's going to have to manage well. Uh, but the, the intention is the right intention. Uh, the second thing on mandatory vaccinations, um, 75% of Canadians think that we should have mandatory vaccines. So, for everybody. Uh, not for just every, get, for not just healthcare workers or they have really absorbed the idea that one way to get out of this situation that we're in is vaccination. So unless you've got a really good explanation as to why you wouldn't be vaccinated, you're going to find concentric circles squeezing the, the, your your opportunities to interact with others smaller and smaller and smaller because every government does their polling and every government knows that this is the case. The difficulty that um, Aaron O'Toole has is that people who are less uncomfortable or less comfortable with that idea are more likely to be voting for him. Mm-hmm. So he has to kind of balance things out a little bit. Now, with the problem, and it could have been a real winner for the Liberal Party uh, back uh, when they called the election and they tried to make it a wedge, wedge issue, but somebody forgot to check the government of Canada's policy. So it's basically been frittered away. Um, yeah. through the course of uh, And not all campaign. liberal uh, candidates are vaccinated and not all Tory candidates are vaccinated and on it goes. So the, I see these guys do that. I mean, it's, it's a real, it's a real Ottawa thing with yeah. the liberals in particular. They don't, they can't imagine that anybody could have a, diff, a different point of view that other people would see as legitimate. Yeah. And they always, they don't tie down the details because they can't imagine everybody wouldn't agree with them. How could you not check that stuff? Yeah. No, it's pretty one oh one. Yeah. The um the uh, I I I know that we uh we've got a lot of ground to cover yet. I wanna just ask a little bit about the um the character issue when it comes to those uh, we've touched on it, but those those little things, as you say, this the stuff that you don't check but you get caught up on like that. So those are I think you talked about that just reinforcing the notion that I don't trust that guy or somebody's lying to me. Yeah, we asked people um, several times through the course of the election campaign, who do you think would be most likely to say uh, anything to get elected? And Justin Trudeau leads on that by 15 or 20 points. Yeah. 
So, so it's, it's, it's hard for him to do what he was doing last night in the, in the debate, which is to say, you know, Mr. O'Toole, you would say, <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you know, kind of everybody sees you that way. Cause it doesn't um, really ring true. Well, not everybody, but enough. Um, yeah. and, uh, certainly it's seen as his vulnerability. Um, but yeah, anything that kind of underscores that self-interested, not quite telling me the truth seems a little sneaky. Um, you know, what's this guy really up to? Anything that underscores any of that stuff is uh, is, is a problem for uh, for Justin Trudeau right now, simply because people have six years of ex- and longer experience. Yeah, experience. Um, one of the or the phrases that I've heard that you don't hear generally in election campaigns, um, but which becomes larger this time and it, it, it feeds into this is the ego and the arrogance you touched on it, which is people in Ottawa mostly liberals because they're there most of the time, but it happens to everybody. Just they think they're smarter than everybody. And that if people disagree with them, it's because they're ill-informed or stupid, not because they actually have a different point of view. Uh, I've said that many times, (laughs) but this, this, this is part of the the problem. I mean, it's uh, you know, you disagree with me. Well, I'm going to tell you again, why not, not that you're wrong, but you don't understand which yeah. is the most humiliating thing that you can say to anybody. And yeah. these got that this is their default. Yeah. You just don't get it. You and just don't get it. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about cuz we began this conversation with the law of unintended consequences and stuff happens as we know uh, a liberal candidate just uh, recently said that you know they're going to have to put a tax on selling your home because you know that's how we have oh. to do it despite you know all of the promises that they would never do that um that's a big issue for me uh, in the a lot of people that uh, of my age that are thinking about selling their residences cuz they're looking down the road this is a big issue. Um, so I'd like to hear you on that. And then there's things like, I don't know, say Jody Wilson-Raybould's book gets published, which it will, before voting day. Yeah, well, it's just, it's one of those things when you have to think these things through. And there, there are things that are going to happen in a campaign that you have no control over that are going to be harmful. You know, the candidate eruptions that you, you were talking about, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, things that people dig up through opposition research that you said about housing taxes. By, by the way, um, you know, we always talked about private sector healthcare as being the third rail of Canadian politics Add another third rail. And, and, and that's one. Yeah. And there might even be some logic to have some, you know, some com- conversation about that. But the minute that you say that you're going to tax people's capital gains on their primary residence, you're asking for the worst. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's and, people's retirement. That's how most Canadians see it. Well, they, they also see it as their uh, as their middle class life achievement. Mm-hmm. They, they, they see it as the thing that they fought hardest to get, that they bought their own house, they paid for their own house. And yes, they see it as the retirement fund, but you're also saying that you're entitled as government to, to take some of that away yeah. at, at a point in the future when people were count, counting on that money. And it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's from a political communications perspective, probably one of the hardest issues that anybody could deal with. And as I said, as bad as private sector healthcare is, is this one is right up there. And, and uh, if there actually is legitimate tape where somebody's 
there's a candidate for the Liberal Party saying that. And uh, the Prime Minister doesn't deny it. Yeah. Justin Trudeau doesn't deny it. Uh, then it just leads it open for everybody running as a, on, on the debate stage to just hit him with it. And, and be up, apart from saying, by the way, the Prime Minister has said, and I've seen him at press conference saying, there's no way that we're going to do that. Yeah, I know. But they, the finance department was also studying it and groups were being funded to to look at that issue. What what would um, what would happen in the next uh, week or so that could change this game? Is there some event? Because the things we're talking about are are little and re- not little, but they're reinforcing. You know, if if Jody Wilson-Raybould says critical things uh, about Justin Trudeau, that's not news, but it's a reminder, as you say, uh, of those things. Is there something that could change the game? Well, as Howard McMillan said, you know, events, dear boy, events. Yes, yes. Uh, and some, like Cabell falling. I mean, yeah. if something happens in the news um, that reflects badly on, on the government or one of the candidates uh, that nobody was expecting, that could have a, a fairly big impact. Um, uh, but you know, as, as much as I, you know, have respect for, you know, colleagues and others who show up and talk about the genius of their ads and stuff like that, that stuff's marginal in <laughs> campaigns. So all the excellence of our get out the vote campaign, marginal. Um, the things that really do move big numbers of people are these unexpected things that could come in from Mars that, yeah. that, that, that nobody was expecting, you know, pictures surfacing of Justin Trudeau in blackface. I mean, yes. Yeah, that, I mean, those are the kinds of things where it's so against character or so against what people expect that the, all of a sudden everybody notices and you go, wow, what? Yeah, Those are the kinds of things. So unless you, there's something like that that's going to happen, we probably go on in the direction that we are. Or there's one other thing that, that I've seen in the polling that suggests that there could be something that's sitting out there. And that's people are so upset about having this election this time around that the idea that we could be into another one as a result of a minority government in a short period of time. First time I've seen it in in polling, normally we see people voting for minorities. Now I'm seeing people saying, I want a majority government. So there could be some public consensus forming around somebody having a majority as we go through the election campaign. The other parties get a bit demoralized, turnouts low, and something like that could happen. I mean, that, I mean, as a pollster, that's the thing that gives me nightmares. Well, the, and the prime minister or the liberal leader, I shouldn't be calling him prime minister because in a campaign he's not, but uh, he's already hinted at that. I mean, he he said that on the trail. If you want to be back at this in 18 months, then, you know, don't give me my majority and, and we'll see you back on the trail. Like that, he is going to, I think, get some more questions on that. Yeah, I would say the only majority that's there in the cards right now, just based on the distribution of seats, is probably a conservative majority. I think that there's a liberal minority, a conservative minority, and potentially a conservative majority way off in the distance. Yeah. Way, way, way off in the distance. And that would only be if the liberal vote just stays home. But but even though Canadians want this sort of settled, so they're not back and have some consistency through the rest of the pandemic and whatnot, we we might end up with minority of government again because I think what we're lo- learning um, and seeing and from the journalist point of view back in the old days we used to like it we used to like minority government because there was a built-in check and balance when somebody has a majority in this country whoa they can do what they want um, so that that's always a tug and pull in the 
in the mind of a Canadian? Do you want to just, you know, have this settled and go away and shut your brain off for four years? Or do you want somebody paying attention? Well, you know, and it's become more of the pattern as well. I mean, so 2000, Jean Chrétien won a majority. Yep. 2004, Paul Martin won a minority. 2006, Stephen Harper won a minority. 2008, Stephen Harper won a minority. 2011, Stephen Harper won a majority. 2015, Justin Trudeau won a majority. Won a minority the last time. Yeah. It, you know, minority wins out. And the other thing that I'd like to kind of throw out there, just to remind everybody, um, you know, when everybody talks about the, the Liberals being the natural governing party, add up what I just went through. It's pretty yeah. evenly divided. Yeah, that is really changing, I think. Yeah. Great to talk to you. Um, always interesting about what's going on in the collective mind here. So we'll keep uh, reading what you're uh, finding and what you're um, publishing for us in the remaining days of this. Thanks, Daryl, very much. My pleasure, Senator. Thank you very much. Great. Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, of course, doing public opinion research. And that is it for No Nonsense today. We'll talk to you again hmm, next week, still about the election. See you then.